Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Tampa Bay Rays 6, the Cleveland Guardians 5. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And are you still enjoying the the aftermath, the glow of the uh, division championship win? Are you out there? Are you talking stuff on Twitter to White Sox fans and Twins fans? Are you enjoying all the coverage that your Guardians are finally getting? I saw a bunch of things pop up. Segments on uh, MLB Network and interviews all around the place for some of our star players. So, yeah, uh, this weekend this weekend was definitely like the last uh, 48 hours was definitely all about the Cleveland Guardians in baseball. While everybody's waiting for Aaron Judge to hit that next home run, uh, the Guardians were definitely the talk of the town. And it was fun to see that, you know, the praises of our team sung all over the MLB landscape. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Everybody was, you know, I felt like there was an energy in the city, definitely an energy around the Guardians clinching. And that's good stuff. Uh, you, the morning people, the listeners of this show, uh, I definitely felt it from you. I believe uh, this was close to our most listened to episode, the division clinching episode of three seasons of doing this podcast. Uh, and I believe that might be uh, right up there with our top uh, listened to episodes of all time. So I could tell that the morning people were ready. Maybe we picked up a few uh, new listeners along the way. And if we did, welcome. Welcome to a show where we just love talking baseball. We get into the nitty gritty of the game. We talk stats. We talk, uh, you know, we talk pitch sequencing. We talk approaches at the plate. We talk real baseball here. So uh, another thing about this show that you should learn is that sometimes, sometimes I don't always get a chance to record in the morning. Sometimes I got to record at night. And when I do, the show takes on a little bit of a different vibe, you know? Sometimes the websites aren't updated with their statistics yet. We're going a little bit more on game reaction than we are hard numbers. And uh, when we do that, this show becomes Cleveland Baseball Nightly. All right, now does much really change when we do baseball nightly? No, not much. But, uh, you know, I am up right after the game ended. Uh, it was a tough extra inning game, an extra inning loss to the Tampa Bay Rays. In fact, it was a really tough loss. I mean, that's the top storyline of this game is the Guardians made it way harder on themselves than this game ever had to be. I mean, this was not the Guardians' way. Now, I'll say that. The Guardians' path is a difficult path, right? Uh, to hit a big home run, sure, is easy, right? You just need one moment in the game, one big home run. The way the Guardians do it, you need a lot of things to go right, right? If you want to string four or five hits together in an inning, you need a lot of things to go right. A lot of pieces have to fall in place. You need a little bit of bat-bib luck, right? You need to get hot at the right time. You got to have timely hits, and that's exactly what the Guardians did not have tonight. They didn't have it. I mean, these numbers are staggering. The Guardians, with runners in scoring position, were 4 for 18. Now, the 4 is great. The Rays were only 2 for 12 with runners in scoring position. 
four for 18, though. You don't often see a team get that many opportunities with runners in scoring position. Uh, their uh, left on base number total as a team is 14. The Rays only left four people on base. Now, uh, where this number really gets nuts is, okay, the team left on base was 14. But in the box score, they also keep track of the individual left on base. For example, uh, Ahmed Rosario left six people on base. Josh Naylor left five. Oscar Gonzalez left six. Hedges left four people on base. It adds up to a total of 35 runners on base. 35 ducks on the pond that had a chance to come in and score, and nobody could just come up with that hit, that hit that we needed to blow this game wide open. So that's why this was such a frustrating game. I mean, it's bound to happen. It was bound to happen where the you know the Guardians were going to run into a game where the BAPIP gods, uh, in which we refer to from time to time on this show, BAPIP is batting average balls in play. So it's really, we're not worried about strikeouts here or home runs. Just, you know, the things put in play. Do you get a seeing eye single? Do you get a bloop that falls in in front of the center fielder? Those types of things are uh, the luck type plays uh, that kind of show up in the BAPIP numbers. Uh, so we just didn't have those tonight. We didn't. We, we just couldn't come up. We'll go through it. We'll go through the rallies, the different scoring opportunities. I mean, the pitching did everything it could to give us a chance to win. And we just, it just wasn't there. The moment just wasn't there. The magic of progressive field just wasn't there last night. And this is not a time for the magic of progressive field to be running out. We're going to be playing our next well, if you include this game, uh, nine regular season games and possibly two to three playoff games at Progressive Field. I mean, we have a chance to be playing 11 to 12 games in a row in our ballpark, and we need that Progressive Field magic. I mean, we're built on a little bit of Progressive Field magic here. So that was the top storyline of the game for me. So let's go through the Guardians offense. Let's go through some of these opportunities. Now this game is also messed up because of a weird rain delay. It's the weather in Cleveland has been particularly strange the last few days. It it's like a single rain cloud will just roll through and like ruin whatever you're trying to do outside. I tried walking the dog yesterday. We made it 10 houses down the street in a huge crash of thunder and lightning. And the dog bolted back for the house. He was like, nuh-uh. And of course, the rain pour comes pouring down for about 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's uh, sunshine again. Everything's soaked and the sun's back out. Well, if you're not in Cleveland, that's what we've been dealing with. And that's exactly what happened in this one. I, I knew it was going to be a short rain delay because that's the kind of weather we've been having. So, uh, yeah, in the middle of the third inning, uh, this rain cloud comes in. They kind of shut things down for a little bit. So... The momentum gets ruined. What should have been a good pitching matchup between Corey Kluber and Shane Bieber, right? Our former ace against our current ace. You know, Cy Young winners facing off against each other, even though those days are long beyond Kluber, right? Those are way in the past for Kluber's career. It's still fun to see him back on the mound at progressive field. So it should have been a fun pitcher's duel. And instead, the rain delay kind of throws everything off. I mean, both these guys put up zeros until the rain comes. And then after they take the tarp off the field, they score, both teams score in the next, uh, you know, inning and a half worth of baseball. Runs are going across the plate. So 
It's not to say the Guardians didn't have their opportunities early. Uh, they get two guys on in the first inning, but Oscar Gonzalez pops out. Uh, in the uh, second inning, they get a leadoff single from Will Brennan, but two strikeouts, and then Brennan is caught stealing. So down goes that threat. All right, we're already starting to leave people on base. So uh, we do come out in the third inning, and we do finally get a big hit. Jose Ramirez comes within f- inches, feet of hitting a two-run home run with Stephen Kwan on first base. Instead, it hits high off the wall, uh, ricochets back out into the outfield, uh, Ray's right fielder, uh, Margot is out there to start things. He gets kind of trapped against the wall, and the ball ricochets past him. So Ramirez is able to leg out a triple, which is usually a good sign. I mean, we were hitting triples like crazy in Texas, and uh, you know, usually a great sign for the Guardians. Yeah, we don't win this one, but hey, uh, still nice to see a triple every now and then. Uh, so Quan comes in to score the first run of the game. All right. Now, Bieber's got to go back out there after the rain delay, after the Little Guardians rally. He's got to go back out there, and he gets absolutely hammered. Uh, A double from Wander Franco, a double from Harold Ramirez. Uh, After a Paredes groundout and a a Paredes flyout and a Peralta groundout, Christian Bethencourt would come up, and he would deliver uh, an RBI single to drive in Harold Ramirez. So... Two runs already come across, and then Jose Siri follows that up with a two-run home run. You think you're out of it. You think you're out of it, and then Jose Siri comes and hits a two-out, two-run home run to make it a 4-1 game. And yeah, Bieber does kind of lose it in this fourth inning. I mean, we're going to get into Bieber's pitch mix in a little bit, but I can tell you a lot of these hits came from off-speed stuff in the middle of the plate. Now, for the most part, he was pounding the glove side of the plate, right? We look at the catcher's view here on Baseball Savant, and the right side of the plate, which would be the glove side of the plate for the right-handed pitcher Shane Bieber, uh, pounding it with the cutter, pounding it with the slider, letting the slider sweep down and away across the zone, even pounding it with the curveball and the forcing fastball a little bit. Uh, definitely trying to work that side of the plate. But in that fourth inning... Uh, things are a little different. He's a little more in the middle of the plate, especially with that cutter, with that slider, and he leaves too many sitting there, and he ends up getting hit around. So, uh, yeah, he gives up four hits in that inning. The uh, double to Wander Franco to lead off the inning was actually a forcing fastball on that glove edge of the plate. Uh, then the next double to Harold Ramirez was a slider right down the middle, a slider that sits right down the middle, And he absolutely hammers this thing. Uh, It's a classic Harold Ramirez. I mean, this is what he does. He hits hard line drive shots. This is why when he was in Cleveland, remember, this guy was in Cleveland last year. We saw this a lot. A lot of doubles. A lot of really hard low angle shots. And he does it twice in this game. Uh, And then the uh, single from Christian Bethencourt is a cutter off the plate, frankly, that he goes out and gets... um, Oh, it would be, uh, he would actually score the run would score, Ramirez would score on the David Peralta ground out, uh, and then Bethancourt would single. So the ground out actually drives in the run, then Bethancourt would single to set up the home run from Jose Siri, and on a 1-1 count, he gets a cutter that sits just dead middle of the plate. Just, de- like I said, Bieber in this fourth inning was stuck in the middle of the plate a little too much, 
And this cutter just sits right there at the thighs, middle of the plate, and Siri is able to lift it 101.5 miles per hour, 25 degree launch angle. Uh, and it's a it's a big home run for them, a big two-run home run that really blows that inning wide open. It went to the front row of the of the high wall out there in left field, 392 out there to left field. They were hitting the ball ridiculously hard, especially off Beaver. In fact, usually these things are a little more even, but Tampa Bay has 10 of the top 11 most hard-hit balls of the entire day. The only guardian up there in the top 11 hard-hit balls on the day was an Oscar Gonzalez single in the fourth inning off Corey Kluber at 99.4 miles per hour. Not one Guardians hitter hit one over 100 miles per hour on the day, and that's bizarre. That's strange. I mean, this is a team that can lay into it and hit some really solid line drives. Now, it's not shocking that Gonzalez is our only one up there, but yeah, the 10 of the top 11 hard-hit balls were all by Tampa Bay Rays. So... Okay, man, they were just squaring some things up, and especially in this fourth inning off of Shane Bieber. Now, the thing is, the key for a starting pitcher, when your team rallies like that, you got to throw up a zero. You got to. You got to put a zero up on the board. You got to help your offense out. Get them back up there. Keep it going. Keep the momentum in your favor. Don't give momentum back. That's exactly what uh, Corey Kluber does in the fourth inning. Back to back to back singles from your Cleveland Guardians. Get uh, get us back into this thing. So uh, Arias is able to leg out an infield single. He chops one down the third baseline. An accurate throw might have got him, maybe. But he's able to beat it out. The throw is a little bit offline anyways. Uh, so back to back to back singles. And uh, Oscar Gonzalez comes in to score. Then uh, Austin Hedges, unfortunately, would strike out. Miles Straw would fly out. He did a nice shot to right field, but he would fly out. And then Stephen Kwan comes up again in the clutch. This guy is so clutch. To be able to turn a rally over to Stephen Kwan uh, from the bottom of your lineup, to have those guys deliver and then Kwan deliver a big RBI hit is just such clutch baseball. He does what exactly what Kwan always does. He shoots one into left field. Brennan comes in to score. Um, Arias moves up to third. Quan moves up to second. It's the weird play where the Rays actually screw up their rotation of cutoff men and covering the base. On a throw home from left field, the third baseman slides down to be the cutoff man. The shortstop is actually responsible for going to cover third base, but the shortstop was already deep in the hole uh, you know, trying to cut off this line drive. So they were kind of in no man's land in left field. So nobody's covering third base. Uh, the left fielder hesitates with the throw. Uh, who was out there in left field at the time? David Peralta hesitates with the throw. He eventually throws to Wander Franco covering third base. Uh, but uh, Brennan is able to get in there safely. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Arias is able to get in there safely. Brennan comes in to score and Quan moves up to second. So it's really solid base running from your Guardians, putting the pressure on the defense. That's an example of where the Guardians running the bases the right way puts the pressure on the defense. And it works here. It gets a run. It puts us in great position to add more to it. Unfortunately, Ahmed Rosario grounds out with two men on base. So a chance to tie the game right there off of Corey Kluber. 
and we can't get it done. We do knock Corey Kluber out of the game in the next inning. Uh, he only lasts four innings in this thing. Threw a ton of pitches. I mean, ended up throwing 91 pitches in only four innings. Uh, gives up eight hits, but only three runs. Five strikeouts for Corey Kluber still. He can still strike you out. Um, so, uh, I mean, we had ducks on the pond. We had opportunities. A leadoff single in that fifth inning, they can't do with it, anything with it. A leadoff walk in the sixth inning, and then Hedges grounds into a double play. We can't do anything with it. Back-to-back leadoff hits in the seventh from Quan and Rosario, and we can't do anything with it. The next three guys are out. Uh, in the eighth inning, it's a one-out walk, uh, and then a two-out single for Miles Straw. Then, oh, this was an interesting one here. So uh, we do do something finally in the eighth inning. Uh, sorry, I got a little carried away with it. Uh, so we do do something in the eighth inning here with this one-out walk. So uh, Gabriel Arias steals second base on a Benson ground out to second base. He moves up to third, and you think to yourself, well, all right, what's the big deal, right? It's between second and third base. Now there's two outs. There's still um, way more ways to score from third base with two outs than there are from second base. And this is the perfect example of it. Miles Straw with an infield single uh, hits one uh, to the left side and just beats it out, just blazing speed, knows he's got to get there, flies down the line, and uh, is able to, uh, they have to review it, uh, but Miles Straw is safe on a ground ball to Wander Franco. He beats it out, and it allows Arias to score the tying run. Once again, speed from the Guardians proving to be such a huge factor here. And so, yeah, then he steals second base, more speed on display, and then one of the moments of the game, they intentionally walk Stephen Kwan. I mean, talk about respect. They don't want to deal with him with the base open. They would much rather face Ahmed Rosario, who's going to hit into a ground out, and sure enough, he hits into a ground out. But we tie the game. We do get a run around in the ninth. It's a two-out single from Oscar Gonzalez, but Brennan would strike out to end things. They went to... Uh, as a Fairbanks in the ninth inning, and he was just filthy. Strikes out Ramirez, Naylor, and Will Brennan in that ninth inning. What was working for Fairbanks on the day? Uh, it was the, uh, well, uh, they really couldn't square anything up, to be frank. Uh, he gets, the Oscar Gonzalez gets the single off of a slider, but they fouled off a ton of pitches. Uh, he does pump in three called strikes on the four-seam fastball, gets two whiffs on the slider, and a whiff on a four-seam fastball. So I guess a little bit of everything was working for him on the day. Uh, it wasn't like he just blew through an inning. We will see that. We will see that in a minute when we talk about the Guardians pitching here. But yeah, so Fairbanks blows us away in the ninth inning. This game goes to extra innings. We shut him down in the top of the 10th. We have an opportunity to win this game in the bottom of the 10th. Uh, Maley would draw a walk. Straw would hit into a force out. Quan would fly out. Quan had a chance to be the hero, had a chance for a walk-off, but unfortunately he flies out to end the threat in the 10th inning. And then the 11th inning, all right, they get it. They get the job done. Now, the reason I haven't talked about the Tampa Bay offense all this time is because they don't do anything. The Guardians' bullpen comes in and does not give up a base hit. They don't give up a walk. They don't give up a base runner. Until the 11th inning. I mean, just absolutely fantastic stuff from your Guardians bullpen until the 11th inning. 
And it's with two outs, too. He gets Margot to line out. Uh, this is Trevor Steffen comes into the game. He gets Randy Rosarena to strike out. He walks Wander Franco, and then he's facing Harold Ramirez with two guys on. Now, uh, Margot did move up. That's Margot, the pinch runner. Uh, the pinch runner in there in the 11th inning, which would be uh, Taylor Walls. You know, they start at second base. He had moved up to third on a ball that got away from Maley, I believe, when they walked Wander Franco. Uh, Franco moves into scoring position. Does he steal his way into scoring position? Uh, yeah, he does have a stolen base off Stefan and Maley, so Franco steals his way into scoring position. So the Rays do get us back with a little bit of our own medicine, right? Running the bases very aggressively. They get two guys in a scoring position, and then Harold Ramirez comes up against Trevor Stefan. And like I said, we had not given up a hit. We hadn't even given up a base runner. And uh, Harold Ramirez versus Trevor Stefan. It's a situation where he shows a guy the same pitch in the same spot on back-to-back pitches, and Harold Ramirez makes him pay. Starts him off with a four-seam fastball up and in that he fouls off. Then he loses it on the splitter, throws it basically over his head, throws him a splitter down, down and in off the strike zone, down at the shins basically, and he swings through it for a strike. That's great. You got him in a one-two count. You can do anything with it. He goes back to the exact same spot with the exact same pitch. This one just slightly higher. And Harold Ramirez drops the barrel head down and shoots it past a diving Ramirez in the left field. And both runs come in to score. I mean, he squares it up at 106.5. If it's me, if it's me, if I'm calling those pitches, I got a 1-2 count. I just got him to swing through a splitter down. Why not go high with the fastball one more time? Why not go up and in with the fastball one more time? See if he can, you know, change the eye level, even if he doesn't offer at it. If he can resist it for some reason, you can go back to that splitter. He threw him two pitches in a row in the same spot, and he hammers it uh, like they were doing all night. So they get that, and then in the uh, in the bottom of the 11th inning, Ahmed Rosario grounds out, moves the runner up. Jose Ramirez hits a little bloop, single, kind of broken bat thing. He was trying to flare it in the left center field, and he does. I mean, he flares it to the back of the infield, basically, and he's safe. The run comes in to score, but Naylor would fly out, and Oscar Gonzalez would ground out to end the threat. So they had the tying run on base. They had the winning run up to the plate. You could say that all night. I mean, they had it all night. They had the opportunity there, and... 11th inning, they get one run across. They cannot get that second run across. All right, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. That was a lot. That was a lot of detail into this game. All right, let's talk a little bit about the pitching because, like we said, Bieber, he lasts six innings, so he lasts deeper than Corey Kluber does. He throws 90 pitches. He is hard hit a bunch, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Uh, but only gives up six hits. He gives up those four runs all in one really bad inning coming back off of a rain delay. So all in all, it could have been a lot worse for Bieber. Doesn't walk anybody on the day. It's not his best start. It's not his worst start. Uh, nothing nothing in the CSW numbers is really popping for him. Um, you know, he, uh, he threw the four-seam fastball. He actually kept the cutters down. The last time he pitched, he threw the cutter the most of every pitch. He went back to the fastball a little bit more in this one. Had eight called strikes with it. 
so decent, 32% CSW. And CSW is, again, if you're new, if you're joining us, we'll break down these stats for you. So on Baseball Savant, they love tracking whiffs and called strikes. Basically, they add them into it together into a stat that they call CSW. What percentage of total pitches were whiffs or called strikes? Something we definitely keep an eye on to see how effective a pitcher is. If you're approaching 40%, you're approaching a pretty darn elite start. Well, Bieber's total on the day was 30%. So a decent whiff rate of 24%. uh, Adds in then 16 called strikes. Not the most dominant we've ever seen him, uh, you know, on the season, but a decent start from Bieber. Uh, Then the bullpen just goes to work. I mean, it is incredible. First off, kick it off with De Los Santos, and this is how you make a statement. Comes in to pitch the seventh inning and has an immaculate inning. Nine pitches, all strikes, Three strikeouts. It starts with Christian Bethencourt. uh, Gets him to uh, swing through a slider on the plate. Then pumps a four-seam fastball that he fouls off. Then goes down and away with a slider. So he had just thrown a fastball up and in. And then goes down and away with a slider. He swings through it for strike three. Then Jose Siri comes up. And he, I'm actually kind of shocked. He stays right at the knees. Boom, called strike with a four-seam fastball. Boom, called strike with a slider right at the knees. And then for some reason, locks him up again with a four-seam fastball. And Jose Siri is called out on strikes. And that brings up Taylor Walls. And he throws him a four-seam fastball up and in that he fouls off. Throws a changeup under the hands, a pitch he hadn't used yet in the game for a called strike. And then goes with another four-seam fastball up and in and blows him away right there. So he... He, you know, he threw pitches in the same location, right? We just yelled at Stefan for this, but he's changing the speed. For, uh, for uh, Christian Bethencourt, he goes slider, fastball, slider. For Jose Siri, he goes fastball, slider, fastball. And this is a, this is a speed change of almost 15, 14 miles per hour, going from a 90, high 94.9 fastball, so basically a 95-mile-per-hour fastball, down to an 81.5-mile-per-hour slider. And then, for Taylor Walls, does the same thing against the lefty, but instead of the slider, throws the changeup in there. Four-seam fastball to a changeup to a four-seam fastball. Again, a difference of about 10 miles per hour between those two pitches. So, it is a beautiful, beautiful, immaculate inning for De Los Santos. And riding that wave... Uh, the bullpen just gets filthy. Sandlin comes in. Uh, he pitches a clean inning on 13 pitches. No hits, no walks, nothing. Emmanuel Classe comes in to pitch the ninth inning. Um, he has a nice clean inning. Uh, he does get hard hit a little bit, but he makes outs, and he gets a strikeout in eight pitches, so very efficient from him. Karinczak handles the 10th inning, and like I said, he shuts him down, even with that runner on second base. Doesn't give up a hit, a walk. He has a strikeout. Works a little bit harder than Classe did through 15 pitches, but he gets the job done. And then Trevor Steffen, unfortunately, it looked like he was going to get out of it. And then the last batter, uh, you know, gets him. Harold Ramirez, the former Cleveland player, gets him with that double down the line. So the bullpen can only last so long. The Rays use a ridiculous amount of bullpen arms with Kluber only going four innings. The Guardians end up using six pitchers on the day. The uh, Rays use one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pitchers on the day to get through this thing. 
But it's a, I mean, it's effective when they were effective and they're able to hold us in extra innings and not give up that big hit and, uh, you know, walk away with the win on this one. So it hurts. Uh, going back to De Los Santos, just to look at his player breakdown, because you want to see ridiculous CS number, CSW numbers. Look at De Los Santos. Uh, he was two for two on whiffs, swings and whiffs on his slider. Uh, added in four called strikes, uh, plus three whiffs, plus they fouled two off. It's good for a 78% CSW on the day. Now, I know we only threw nine pitches, but just so you know what an immaculate inning looks like, it looks like a 78% CSW. The only blemishes are the two foul balls. So uh, pretty ridiculous stuff from De Los Santos. And you know what? In a loss, a segment we always do at the end of the show is MVP for the day. Just our way of recognizing like who really stood out on the day. And I mean, there were some people on offense absolutely uh, had respectable days. I mean, Quan had three hits on this day, a walk. So he's on base four times. The intentional walk there. He has an RBI. He has two runs scored. Ramirez had three hits on the day in two RBIs. Multi-hit games from Rosario, Gonzalez, Brennan. So, I mean, the offense had their moments, and there were so many guys on base. Just nobody could come up with that big hit. I think what De Los Santos does here in this seventh inning definitely was an incredible feat on the day. Maybe it's not the most incredible, uh, maybe it's not the most valuable player of the day, but it might be the most incredible feat of the day. And so we're giving him MVP on the day for this one. All right, that's all my thoughts on this loss to the Rays. I mean, it it was a bizarre, bizarre game to try to cover because there's so much offensively from the Guardians, and yet it's just not showing up on the scoreboard. We double the Rays in hits, 14 hits to 7 hits. And yet they come out on top by one. So it's a really, really strange day for your Guardians. All right, before we get out of here, uh, we do have an email from our friend Chris in New Jersey. If you're new to the show, we have an email address. It's clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Very easy to remember. It's in the show notes. Feel free to email in about anything. We want to make this show an opportunity for you to talk baseball as well as hear me talk about baseball. So it's always open. The inbox is always open. We always get to it on the next show that we record. And uh, Chris uh, sent a really nice email here and has got a few questions for us. He says, thanks again for carrying us through the 2022 season with Cleveland Baseball Mornings. What an amazing run and season for the Cleveland Guardians to capture the AL Central. That's what I'm talking about, Chris. He's got a few questions. He's starting to lean into the playoffs here. Uh, He says, if you include Zach Plesak with the current 28-man roster, by the way, some little bit of news we got before the game, Plesak is scheduled to start on Friday. He did his rehab assignment, and it went fantastic. Uh, Frankly, I've been happy with what Cody Morris is doing, but Plesak is going to be back Friday. So, if you include Plesek with the current 28-man active roster, which three players in this group do you think does not get selected to the 26-man roster in the AL wildcard round? This is a tough question, Chris. I mean, this is a really, really tough question here. So I'm looking at the roster, and I think the f- first one, the most obvious one, is probably Gabriel Arias. We're carrying an extra infielder right now with the expanded rosters. I don't think Tyler Freeman is going anywhere. I think he has established himself that he belongs at this major league level. 
And uh, he can play all three of those infield positions, second, third, and short. So I think Freeman has that covered. I think Gabriel Arias is probably, you know, he's the last man called up here. He's probably the odd man out for the playoff roster. Um, that leaves you with a starting lineup, you know, of obviously uh, Josh Naylor, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Jose Ramirez. You got Owen Miller, who can sub in at first and second, and Freeman, who could play third, second, and uh, short. In the outfield, this is where they'd have to make an interesting decision. Do they want to go with five outfielders or only four? I could see them going with four, but there's nobody really. They've lost that utility infielder. That was Ernie Clement. Gabriel Arias can actually play some left field, but they've kind of lost that middle infield uh, utility guy that can also play left field in a pinch. I don't know if Freeman can do it. I don't know if Naylor can still play right field, frankly. Uh, Or even Ahmed Rosario wants to go back out to left field in an emergency. I think they're going to probably go with four outfielders, though. Gonzalez in right, Quan in left, Straw in center, and you got to keep Will Brennan around. I mean, the guy's been getting a ton of at-bats, playing almost every day. And I don't see Will Brennan going anywhere either, now that he's up here. So Benson might be my odd man out in the outfield. That leaves one more man that i got to cut from this team, and this is where things get interesting. Now, the real answer here, the real answer should be Brian Shaw. Just has not been effective down the stretch. I just don't see Francona doing it. Maybe it's just for chemistry's sake. Maybe it's just to have that veteran presence out there talking to the guys in the bullpen. I don't see them not bringing Shaw along this far and then keeping him off the playoff roster. Now, with that being said, they have been relentless and ruthless when it comes to the veterans on this team, if you're not carrying your weight, you're gone. Shaw seems to be the only exception to that rule. And so if it's not him, then you're looking at Cody Morris, who is right now being that fifth starter, even though he was called up to pitch in the bullpen originally. That was the plan before Plesak and Savali got hurt. Cody Morris, possibly, because Plesak is coming back to take that spot in the rotation. Kirk McCarty is another one who's bounced back and forth. And he can easily go, um, but he actually has been uh, surprisingly effective as a lefty out of the bullpen. And right now, the only other lefty you have is Sam Henches. So, I don't know. I think you'd be deciding between Kirk McCarty and Cody Morris to see who gets that final spot right now if uh, if Plesak's coming back. I believe that math works out and gets you back down to 26 for the AL wildcard round. So, We'll see if they make those decisions, if they're comfortable with only four outfielders or they feel like they need to carry that fifth, which you know right now is Will Benson. Uh, it's interesting. There, there's some, there's some, still some tough choices here. I mean, it's really, that's one of the things about the limited expansion of the roster is that, that you know, person, that 27th, 28th person that you sneak on is someone you really want to be here. And so to have to cut them now for the playoff roster, it's going to be a tough choice. All right, his next question. If you're Terry Francona, do you now consider giving Jose Ramirez some extra rest to either heal up or mentally recharge ahead of the playoffs? And he's wondering if the thumb is still bothering him, gave me the OPS numbers, and his OPS has fallen drastically uh, since the All-Star break. And then he has a game like this. He has three hits. He crushes one to right field. I don't know if the thumb... He seems to still have pop when he connects. I think it's more of an approach thing. 
I think he's been way more aggressive. I think he's been swinging out of the strike zone way more since the All-Star break. And frankly, I think that's been more of the problem. He's trying so hard to deliver those RBIs still uh, that he kind of forgot about just taking walks and giving those guys behind him an opportunity to drive in some runs. So honestly, I would love to see that, you know, kind of a readjustment, a reapproach from approach from Jose Ramirez saying, look, I can't, I can't win this thing on my own. I know I can't win this thing on my own. So I got to take my walks. I got to be more patient and selective at the plate and uh, trust the guys behind me a little bit more. So I don't think it's a thumb. I, I, I was surprised that so many of the veterans were in the lineup tonight, frankly. Uh, I thought Jose or Ahmed Rosario or you know some of these other guys might get the night off. Uh, but no, he kind of stuck with the veterans in there. And then he says, I last question, I know the Guardians went 1-6 versus the Mariners this year, but with Julio Rodriguez and Eugenio Suarez both currently injured, would you like the Guardians to see them in the wildcard round, or do you think they match up better against the Blue Jays or the Rays? Here's what I'll say. I mean, it's total speculation, right? Any of these teams could be dangerous in the playoffs. The thing about Seattle, though, it wasn't necessarily their offense that worried me. It was their pitching. I mean, that starting rotation is a legit thing to be reckoned with in the playoffs. So I'm way more worried about the Seattle Mariners pitching right now than I am about the Blue Jays or the Rays. So with that being said, I would much rather face the Blue Jays or the Rays in this first round here in Cleveland than I would the Seattle Mariners. They are definitely the bottom of my list of the three teams I would want to face right now, just based on their pitching that they can throw out there. Ah, man. All right. Good questions, Chris. Thank you for fueling us through to the end of the show here. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. It is definitely time for me to turn in. All right, again, the final tonight from Cleveland. It's the Rays 6, the Guardians 5. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show just like Chris did at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the playoff roster. Let me know your thoughts on the game tonight. Let me know your thoughts on winning the division still. I still want to hear some of your reactions and thoughts from winning the division. So hit me up at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, it's in the show notes. You can leave a voicemail for the show, just like a radio call-in show. We'll play it back on the air and respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.